Welcome to the Health Advisor Companion Podcast. My name is Hamza Drabu, partner at DAC Beechcroft. Today's podcast features two in-depth discussions exploring how COVID-19 has escalated the emergence and adoption of new digital healthcare solutions. I was joined in my first conversation by Anna King and Leslie Soden, Commercial Director and Program Director at Health Innovation Network. Thank you both for joining us today. There are a number of questions that I hope to get your views on. And the first is a broad one. How critical has technology been throughout the pandemic in your view? And if I could start with Anna, that would be great. Technology has been absolutely critical throughout the pandemic. At the Health Innovation Network, we've been working with our health and care partners locally and nationally to help them introduce new technologies as part of the response to COVID. So we've seen firsthand the opportunities and challenges that it's presented. We've also been working quite closely with industry partners and innovators to try and find new ways to solve the challenges in the NHS. Leslie, any views from you? Yeah, I mean, I think the innovative nature of technology means that it has moved really quickly to be rapidly deployed. So I haven't ever seen rapid deployment of technology, which has its pluses and its minuses. So it'd be really useful for us to be able to evaluate which tech and what's the lessons learned from a rapid deployment, because you often get in the NHS that it will take X amount of time to be able to deploy technology. You need to train the staff. You need to do some of the testing. So it'd be really interesting to see whether actually that view is a reality or whether you can rapidly deploy and what do you need to do to be able to rapidly deploy technology. And in terms of your experience of that technology being rapidly deployed, did you see that largely at a national scale or was it very much sort of pockets of local innovation and I guess different deployment depending on where you might be? We've seen it both locally and nationally. So in the early days of the first wave of COVID, we saw quite a lot of local teams really embracing technology and using the tools they had at hand to improve services and work remotely. But as we are now in the second wave of COVID, we're seeing many more national programmes and we're supporting the adoption and rollout of those where the evidence is beginning to come in of success in first wave. So that would be things like COVID oximetry at home, where we were involved working with NHSX in the first phase with various pilots for this model, which allows people to monitor their blood oxygen at home. There's increasing evidence to show that early detection of hypoxia at home could help reduce the number of hospital admissions and allow people's care to be accelerated and admitted to hospital when it's required. That's really interesting. I've read actually about the oximetry and I wondered, is that something that was initially sort of trialled very locally or was it something that was rolled out at a large scale? It was initially piloted in a couple of hospitals in the southeast, but now it's being rolled out nationally and the Health Innovation Network, along with the other AHSNs, are supporting NHSX in that. That's excellent. And how long did that initial pilot take in terms of gathering the evidence, Anna? The initial evidence gathering took place during the first wave. Given the time taken to mobilise, I think the volumes were relatively low in the first wave. But what we've seen as the second wave has accelerated is that we're seeing better and better outcomes coming through from this programme. Another question. So we've seen all of the innovation and rapid adoption during this time throughout the pandemic. How do we keep up the pace in terms of that adoption as we move forward? That's open to Leslie or Anna, whoever wants to take that one first. Do you want to go for this one, Leslie? 
I would say this is a very exciting time for technology because what I'm seeing from clinicians and from operational leads is they've seen the benefits of technology and how it's helped to be able to move consultations online and the benefits to the patient and that it hasn't affected patient care. They're quite excited about looking for new technology. A lot more clinicians are contacting me to find out what solution would help within their clinical area. So an example would be we're working on a big dermatology program. And previously, dermatologists would have not been so keen on adopting technology because they've got a huge backlog they need to address. They're looking for different technology to be able to better clinically triage, to be able to manage their referrals better. So I'm seeing clinicians and operational leads are embracing technology more. They've seen the benefits in effect, it was put on them and that they had to move towards using technology more. They've seen the benefit, but it does depend on which clinical area. So for example, if you were looking at online consultations for dermatology, it doesn't particularly work because the resolution of the online platforms isn't great enough for them to be able to look at skin conditions and be able to diagnose remotely. So it does depend on which clinical area, but they're definitely looking much more to the opportunities that digital and tech solutions offer. Another area where we've seen quite a lot of this work and we're beginning to get really good results through from the rapid implementation is video consultation in mental health. We've been working with the mental health trusts across South London to pull together the evidence and share the learning from the implementation. And some of the initial feedback from the service users is really positive. In one particular trust, 97% of the users said they would definitely or probably use the system again. And that was despite the technical issues of using these systems, audio quality, video quality, that sort of thing. And both the patients and the carers also saved considerable amounts in times of time and care visiting their appointments as well. So I think there's probably some learning from that that is likely to endure. And I think video consultations are likely to be part of the service offering in the future. Um, they're also beginning to show some quite good environmental benefits, with 40% of people normally attending appointments by car. And obviously, the green agenda is crucial as well at this time. That's really interesting. Thank you both. One of the questions that I had relates to the local national approach to commissioning healthcare technology. We've seen the consultation in respect of integrated care systems, and I wanted to gather your thoughts in terms of what you think that will do for the commissioning and procurement of health technologies, whether that will help it, hinder it, or have a neutral effect. I think there's quite a lot of benefits to the move to ICSs because there's a real opportunity for a proper sharing of the risks and rewards of any implementations. One of the key challenges that organisations often face when they're adopting a digital innovation is the savings are accrued to a different organisation or occur in a different financial year. And the move to ICSs will hopefully go some way to solve that issue. The challenge is that without the provider commissioner split, some of the encouragement you get for digital transformation that comes through the re-procurement of service contracts will need to be replicated in other ways. So we're often asked by health tech entrepreneurs or those looking to work with the sector and bring innovation to the sector as to who they should be talking to. And Anna, I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about the work of the Health Innovation Network. And our role is to help the spread and adoption of innovations in the NHS. And we do that because we think it's got the potential to improve health outcomes, improve efficiency within services, but also help economic growth. 
So we work with innovative businesses, both big and small, to help them understand the NHS market and to get their innovations spread and adopted in the NHS. Are there any initiatives that you're involved in to help fund some of that innovation and bring it to market? I guess that's an open question to you both. We were involved in the early stage of the COVID crisis with a programme called Tech Force 19, working with NHSX and the Department of Health to look at new technologies that can help the vulnerable, elderly and self-isolating due to COVID. And we supported 18 different innovative businesses who had digital tools that could help that group. And there were some really interesting businesses trying to make a difference. I think you were working with some companies too, weren't you? Yeah, there was one company we were working with, Peppy Health, who were providing online mental health practitioners and maternity practitioners. So they went out nationally and within one weekend they had 10,000 applications for 1,000 places on their digital programme. So it was a huge need. And they've just moved into a phase two approach with Greater Manchester Maternity System. So they're targeting black and ethnic minority parents to be able to support them through this second wave. And they had some excellent results and showed some improved clinical outcomes. It's a really interesting project where new parents couldn't get to see their health visitors and they were providing an online resource to be able to support and enhance that. I think one of the challenges with the rollout of technology in healthcare is always around health inequalities, but those projects sound like they really go to addressing some of those issues. The design of it was quite interesting because we could work nationally, you could go out and recruit nationally, as opposed normally if you're getting commissioned, you're getting commissioned at most on a regional level, opening it up to people who are facing the greatest health inequalities and a lot of BAME parents. Can I just take the opportunity to thank you both for joining today and for this conversation? It's hugely appreciated and I look forward to catching up with you both soon. Thank you. Thank you. My second conversation exploring these themes was with Chris Thomas, Senior Research Fellow at the Institute for Public Policy Research. Thank you for joining us today, Chris. Hi, Hamza. Good to be here. Well, it's great to have you on and thank you for your contributions to our article. The first question I had is really focused on health inequalities, which is an area that I know you have a great deal of experience. What do you think the pros and cons are regarding a national versus local approach to commissioning new technologies for the NHS? I think there's two things that are worth bearing in mind on the local national split. I mean, I suppose the first thing is that the local approach can target innovation to the needs of the local population in question. So we saw something quite remarkable, didn't we, in the pandemic and at the start of the pandemic, which was the shift to using digital in primary care. And we know that in that case, from research that IPPR have done, that one of the big enablers of that shift was that they were in many ways allowed to take a local approach that when talking to GPs, in particular, that you get the sense that they didn't feel that they were allowed to take in years gone by and outside of a crisis period. So there was a twofold thing going on was one that they felt like they had permission and resource and guidance and the ability to bring in some of the tools that we know are so hard to diffuse a lot of the time. And they were able to do that in a way that was very tailored to the population that they work with. So they had a really good understanding of what kind of things they need to set up, how that split across things like hot and cold hubs, and they could put that into practice. 
That said, we always feel like it's worth cautioning against the notion of national washing its hands of the process. So there's a really interesting tension in a lot of NHS policy documents between this let a thousand flowers bloom, as I think it's called in the five year forward view, and command and control. And you know, you might be tempted from what I've just said to say, well, let a thousand flowers bloom seems like a really good way of doing it. But equally, there's a role for nationals. So again, we talk to local leaders, we talk to general practitioners, we talk to people in CCGs. One of the big enablers to innovation is what the national bodies do to enable it. So there's three components that there's funding and resource, there's guidance, and there's a sense of purpose. Now in COVID, these things were kind of ticked off because we had a crisis, didn't we? That meant that the idea of there being a purpose and permission and resource, they weren't in question. But in normal times, those are things that you do really need solid commitment from a national perspective to let that local work thrive. So I think an approach that brings in the best of both and that has a very clear sense of both is really important. That's really interesting. I guess with the integrated care system push on the immediate horizon, it looks like we'll have a bit more scale in terms of oversights at that level. Do you think that that will help or hinder the adoption of technology in the NHS? I think it has the potential to help if it's got right. We know that in previous times that there have been regional bodies that have been quite helpful in terms of delivering on novel treatments on technologies and getting them through the systems. So for the tensions that sometimes emerge around them, things like strategic health authorities were useful in several decades ago. I think one of the stories that always strikes me as indicative of this is the experience of London and the stroke reorganisations that took place in London to centralise care, which had the potential to be quite a controversial move, which needed buy-in from both the health system itself and from the public, but which had a very good evidence base in terms of how many lives it could save, how much money it could save, just the general sense that it was a good idea. And what was interesting there was that it was an intermediary, it was a regional body that drove the innovation. It was down to the leadership of NHS London. It was Ruth Cornell, who was chief executive at the time. And when we do qualitative work around those changes, we often hear the role that the NHS London body played. And I think at their best, you'd hope that integrated care systems can give some of that leadership back into the system. Yeah, that would be ideal if that's the case. I agree. So during the course of the pandemic, obviously, we've seen the rapid adoption of various healthcare technologies. Are there any in particular that have caught your eye in terms of reach and impact? I think there have been two that really jumped to mind, two that have been really impressive. I mean, primary care has obviously been a place where lots of the commentary, lots of the analysis has been focused, and I suppose for good reason, given the numbers, given the speed of change. But the tools that were brought forward by AccuRx and the AccuBook, which was, I think, if we take their story of from 2016 being a new company to 2019, having a presence in about 1,400, I think it was GP practices, and then through the pandemic, a 90% uptake. And that's a fairly startling kind of jump in terms of managing to implement a really useful technology well. And that's a tool for those listening that might not know that lets GP practices and their patients book really seamless appointments through text message and text correspondence. And it's the kind of obvious technology that we've been looking for in primary care, isn't it? That we need a seamless way to, to book appointments. And lots of companies have tried to do that, but not in quite a seamless way, I don't think. 
And then the other one I've seen some data on recently is Coordinate My Care. And this comes actually at the other end of the care pathway, if we think that's primary care and more towards the end of life. And Coordinate My Care is a system to coordinate the complicated business of urgent care. And again, the numbers in terms of uptake that it's got next to its name over the last six months have been hugely impressive. And it's something that pushes forward, again, a story of the NHS managing in a crisis period to do something that it's long wanted to, because digital methods of coordinating care, particularly for people with severe needs that might be at the end of life, that might have quite regular or quite complicated problems crop up. That's been in strategies around the end of life for a long time. So two quite impressive pieces of technology and innovation there, I think. Thanks, Chris. Those are really good examples of how things have worked well when it comes to adoption in the sector. Just going back to one of your original points around national versus local, and I think what's been successful in terms of the rapid adoption in light of COVID, and you talked about funding guidance and that sense of purpose. Do you feel that the technology that drive the adoption will continue at the sort of pace that it's been at? Or do you think that things are going to slow down now that actually we're over perhaps the hump when it comes to the pandemic itself? Yeah, it's a great question. The vaccination does offer a bit of an exit strategy in a way nothing else seemed to or that seemed a little bit less hopeful just months ago. And I think there's a challenge that we lose some of the features of the pandemic that enabled innovation as silver linings thought was a very grey cloud. So when we talk to people at IPPR that are in the business of innovation, we ask often what the enablers were, particularly during COVID-19, what it brought that hadn't always been available. And one of the really interesting things is the shift in culture. So I think there are two elements to that. One is that there was a certain change in attitudes to risk. There was the flexibility to take risks that were managed, but that were on the basis of improving health. And I think it's always interesting that whilst you have to have some balance in this, but we don't regulate the idea of missing an opportunity to help someone nearly as much as we regulate the idea of doing something wrong that then harms someone. But in fact, the end point, the consequence can be the same. So there was an interesting discussion around what risk we were willing to take in a really difficult situation. Whether we maintain that conversation in normal times, I think is very uncertain, but I think it's a conversation that we should continue to have. The other element was a sense of joint mission, as it's often described to us. So there was a real sense of urgency and purpose. And that did a couple of things that made it easy to justify innovation and spreading innovation locally without some of the loopholes. And often what we hear is fairly significant bureaucracy in terms of justifying cost and all kinds of things that can merge at that point. But that also drove the centre to push for innovation rather than against it. There weren't the same kind of, to give an example, the same kind of stipulations put around in terms of the centre often trying to manage the costs of the health system. It was a slightly different context in that the centre was just trying to manage the capacity and quality of the care that was coming through. So the change in what was motivating national decisions was quite important. And again, I think there's a risk that that conversation returns to the mean after the pandemic. So we'll be in a very difficult situation when it comes to NHS finances and without taking on that conversation, without having a kind of very looming immediate threat. I think there's a chance that we see a lot of the barriers that are often felt to be attempts to manage costs rather than, you know, promote quality coming back in or weaving their way in. I think that would be a shame. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the burning platform has been really important to allow for the rapid adoption that we've seen. Chris, can I just say thanks so much for contributing to this and for contributing to the article. It's really much appreciated. No problems at all. 
thanks for thinking of IPPR in terms of contributors. You can keep in touch with our content at www.dacbeachcroft.com health-advisor for the latest insights, foresights, and thought-provoking articles for health and social care professionals.